Yasu, it's the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Cheshire Impact on a mission to help maximize your use of marketing automation and CRM, CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Now, I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. She is not even in the country right now. She is overseas. She is in Greece at the moment, living the life and crushing it um, in business meetings and all sorts of things going on. She is Rebecca Lieb. And before I let you say hi, I got to just let people know who you are. Founding partner, analyst at Kaleido Insights, author, which we're going to talk about your killer book and books, I believe. And then also you recently bought a house in Europe. So Rebecca, welcome. Casey, it's such an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, awesome. And you know, and if, and if there's any delays or whatnot, and it's sounding pretty good right now, but it's amazing how we can be speaking across. I don't know if we're going up or we're going under the water and across the cable, but somehow we're communicating. <laughs> it just magically works. And that's why we can be digital natives these days and take advantage of, of time and space differentials that no longer count for anything. We don't oh, even have to it. pay for a long distance. Call. Remember, it's long distance. Get off the phone. Get off the phone. You know, five dollars an hour to call Greece. Nope, not right. anymore. Man, not anymore. Man, well, thank you so much for joining here. Yeah, you know, we were chatting earlier. The theme for this month around that that maturity model for marketing automation is, you know, before you start clicking and building things and and doing the activities, you really have to have a strategy. And so this month, it's all about content marketing, content strategy. Do we gate content? Don't we? Those type of topics. It's all around using content, being a thought leader. And what better? You've got the book on it, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But I wanted to give you a chance to, right off the bat, smash the myths. You know, are, are there some goofy strategies out there or just beliefs people have that you just need to correct right off the bat? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that, and I've got dozens of them. But one of the top of my list ones is the more content, the better. Content uh, marketers, wannabe content marketers, are running around with their hair on fire going, we got to make more content. It's sort right. of like, got to make the donuts. Remember that? Commercial? Yeah, got to um, make the donuts. More volume, volume, volume. And it's not volume. When I surveyed marketers a couple of years ago and I said, what is your biggest content want for the year? They all said, more content, faster, greater velocity, greater volume. But then when I said, what is your biggest content need, which is totally different from a want, they said, we need better measurement and better audience targeting. Yeah, really? what they want more content. So I say that's like going to the store for bread and coming back with milk. You know, if <laughs> yeah. you really know what you need, don't, you know, follow your instincts and just do the more without that strategic what and how. You know, I love that because I, I have officially been off grocery store duty since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Even now, uh, no one lets me go to the store because I won't just come back with milk. I'll come back with uh, Twix, oh, Oreos, right? Oreos yeah. all these other things. So it's not filling up your shopping cart with all these little goofy content pieces or even a lot of great content. It's what well, it's quality over quantity is really the message. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take your time think it through, and then you'll have a sustainable strategy. The people who just want more, 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 they burn out. 
right. let anybody learn out. You just can't be a content factory with no idea behind that content, no goal, no notion of who's going to create it, who's going to approve it, how it's going right. to even work. You know, I think back to when I was, uh, when I had a little tiny baby and, and we're, you can teach them sign language before they can speak. And so one of the easiest ones is more, and it's basically touching your fingers together like that. But then kids just get into that thing where they're like more and you get the cutest videos on the internet where kids are like more, more, please, you know? Um, and, and we're saying, don't be that toddler with your content, but how, how much is enough or of that? So, okay, we know it's quality, but is that three pieces of quality or is it, is there a number that you can wrap your hands around? How do we know I have? No, there enough? isn't. No. Okay. Everybody's got different needs. You know, yeah. unfortunately the answer to a whole bunch of stuff in marketing is it depends. It depends. You know, <laughs> why you've got to, well, it's true. And that's yeah. why you've got to, you know, I work with lots of individual brands and that's why you go in and you, you know, do your discovery, you do your fact finding, you unpack those needs and then you, experiment with a velocity, you're never going to get it right, right off the bat. One of the things I think that keeps marketers from developing a content strategy is they think the minute they write it down, it's like the 10 commandments. It's immutable. It's going to be there for centuries mm. and you can change it. You know what? You can change it, but at least you've got that basic fundamental map that so that you know where you're going. And you can change. You test, you learn, you change, you adjust. You know, like that right. Facebook photo, fail fast and move on. Yeah. You're allowed to do that in content marketing too. But unless you have that documentation and uh, that, that rigor of analysis, you're not going to know what's succeeding and what's failing. So you'll just keep churning out more and more and more and more and more like a duck with its feet under the water yeah. and burn it. Huh. Flame it. Fl oh, so, so that. I mean, I mean, I guess they, it depends, but then is one, I guess you, you can't, can we answer that in some shape or form? It, it's one or two. So, or two yeah. Or, here's a really good example of, and I have a content marketing maturity scale too. And yeah. it goes from standing still to walking, to jogging, to running, you know, okay. it's that kind of. And walking is when you're just experimenting. So there is a company in upstate New York, and they make um, supplies for chemicals for soldering. I don't know anything about this. I'm sure you don't know anything about no. this. <laughs> Nobody listening to this knows anything about chemicals for soldering. Right now someone's but, saying, wait a minute, uh, I do. And you're like, okay, uh, you're the only one. Be quiet. <laughs> it's not a priority. I'm <laughs> But they have all these PhD scientists look, working for them. And their head of marketing, a guy by the name of Rick Short, decided as an experimental content strategy, he was going to get all of those scientists blogging about chemicals for soldering. Okay. He launched, I believe it was 76 individual blogs. And 76 wasn't a random number. 76. He keyed it to their top keyword on Google. And by the way, then he translated it into a bunch of languages, like five or six. So it was 76 times five. I can't even do that math in my head. This is a lot of blogs. And that's but, not a blog post. That's a blog blog. Blog, it's blog. Like a magazine right. specific for that keyword, that key blog. phrase. That's crazy. But it was the only way they could figure out what yeah. was going to work. 
And yeah. the minute they found out what they, you know, people would salute out once they rounded up the flagpole, they killed all those other blogs and they kept going with the ones that were successful. Oh, okay. If you don't experiment, you don't know which ones are going to work. Now, True. that might be a larger scale ex mass experiment than most marketers are willing to take on. Sure. But it turned those scientists who were doing the successful blogs into celebrities. They started <laughs> getting speaking all over the world they started traveling and you know they were greeted by people in their industry as heroes from abroad um, yes. you know it really raised the company's profile and it raised the company's sales so they weren't just measuring traffic which is a publisher metric not right. a marketing metric they were measuring results now that publisher thing we were chatting earlier i think that's another myth you wanted to smash about publishing yeah that's the other thing that that goes so it correlates with this quantity thing sure. so content marketers tend to measure measure clicks visits time spent on page yeah. all that stuff really matters if you're a publisher and you're trying to tell potential advertisers well you know our publication's valuable people right. like it they hang out here it doesn't matter to marketers these are all nice to haves it's nice to know people like your content but you need to correlate that into business results yes do they convert and a conversion is a desired action so if you say you know read a few blog posts and then maybe you can order a white paper about this but there's an exchange of your email address so that we can market sure. to you do they do that does it shorten the sales cycle? Does it bring in more desirable leads? So that time spent on page is one thing, but then there's ROI trackable content metrics. Yes. Does it sales, higher consideration? Does it lead to better mindshare? Does it lead to better search results? There are so many dozens and dozens and dozens of metrics that matter that content marketers can't and shouldn't just concentrate on clicks and likes and all that nice to have stuff that doesn't directly correlate into business results. Oh, uh, you know, that time on page is one of my, uh, just gets me all frustrated when people, because that could, that could either be, yes, they're reading your page or that could be, they can't find anything on your site and they're, mm -hmm. they're lost. You could look at bounce rate too, but you've you got could. to look at what that means. Does do people yeah. who spend more time on the page then convert more? You can measure this stuff, but you have to. And then this goes back to a strategy: make a plan to measure it and to relate those metrics to what matters to you internally. Right. It's not just those fuzzy interstitial metrics. Those are nice if you want to track them. Great, but it's revenue. It's it's tying it to the deal at the end. Yeah. But now I'm. That all said, I'm going to give you an example of tying visits to business results because you can take it one half a step further and correlate to business results. Yeah, interesting. So I was talking to the head of um, community at Sony Europe, and he was doing what good content marketers do and expending a little shoe leather walking around you know, this sure. large company yeah. talking to people about what's going on in your department, you know, looking for a little inspiration. That's how you create more good content. Totally. You talk to the head of their customer care department, and she told him that they were getting an unusually high volume of calls because people were having trouble with some button on some new Sony TV. Very simple fix, but people kept calling in and saying, what do I do about this? <laughs> so we went back to his desk, and he wrote a couple paragraphs about what to do with the button. And that little piece of text got something like 35,000 views in the first wow. week. That's raw visits, right? Yeah. But you could tell 
that people were searching for what do I do with the button on the CX-29 or whatever the sure. chipset was called. Go a step further. Every time somebody calls the Sony Center in Europe, it costs seven euros. That correlates to roughly $7, give or take. 35,000 times seven is how much money? You know, that's more than, that's like roughly- Wait, wait, wait. wait. Every time they call, it costs the, it costs the company sure. $7 to receive that call? So oh, not $7, yeah. $7, seven euros. Seven euros, which is wow. maybe dollars. So that a call center is always an expense. Most yes. companies want people to do self-service on the web. So instead of just correlate that with visits, correlate that with numbers, make an intelligent guess that we've just diverted 35,000 calls to, and that's just in the first week that's continued over a period of several weeks. Oh, that's cool. And then you've got a dollars and cents number you can take upstairs and say, give me more money for my content program because we're diverting calls from a very costly channel into an almost free channel. I love that. I got my little calculator out on the computer while you're saying that. It's roughly 24,500 euros. So what's yeah, that uh, in dollars? That's significant. Mm-hmm. From a piece of content that was, you know, two content. paragraphs that took the guy yeah. like 10 minutes. Right. And you know people right. would prefer yeah. to they prefer to search it because if I can find the answer quickly online, I do not want to call some gigantic corporate. You don't want, you don't, call, they don't want you to call. Whole, you don't want yeah, whole navigate. Yeah, nobody uh, that. We don't want to. So we'd love to do the web if you give us the option. Yeah. Yeah, but but back to that core lesson. Sure. It's not the number of visits, it's correlating those visits into money. And then knowing the value of your content. That's interesting. So that, that's, that re- that's, that's math I can almost do in my head and I'm not very good at math. Yes. I was just doing some math with the daughter this morning. The new math. It's crazy. But that's interesting. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a reminder to not just track the end result, but track along the way because there may be some converted to business yeah. results that's what your boss and your boss's boss wants to know how is it helping the business yes justify the expense justify uh-huh. the investment all of that i love that it, mm-hmm. you start out by just saying don't be a publisher but then look at the big picture look at the end result but then also i mean that's almost like a business analyst decision you were talking about someone who's smart going okay look if they went to this site, then they didn't call the number. You know, There's no direct app connecting those, but you would have to think and realize that you're saving legitimate money for the company by doing that. You are. And you know, it is a, also a fair assumption that the casual internet surfer is not you know, browsing how to fix a button on a TV <laughs> yeah. rather than a kitten video or something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, they're on YouTube wasting away, but uh, they're not, they're not exactly. searching on Sony's site. Huh. Yeah. Why would you go there unless you have a problem? But there are plenty of other content metrics. So if you're interested in share of voice, is your content increasing your share of voice over the competitions? Now, what is that? What is share of voice? Um, So, you know, maybe a town, I'm from Chicago and I'm not a sports fan, so don't, I can't get too deep into this, but there's two baseball teams. (laughs) No worries. Maybe the Cubs want more share of vice than than the White Sox or vice versa. Sure when you've got a competitor out there who's really killing it and you want to take over some thought leadership, that's share of voice. And that leads to better brand consideration, for example. Um, Another great example of content is how it can help you, especially when it's interactive, develop and bring 
products to market more quickly and mm. efficiently. Sure. So Domino's Pizza in Australia developed an app where people could create their own pizza. If you think of what a pizza is, it's a limited universe of ingredients, right? Sure. You got your tomatoes, sausage, you know, mushrooms, onions, whatever. It's pretty finite. Sure. And they would also name their pizzas and publish them to the app. Every time somebody ordered their pizza, the creator got a cut, you know, like a 10% commission. No way. <laughs> but it's also a way for Domino's to see what the most popular pizzas were. Yeah. And the most popular user-generated pizzas became part of the permanent menu. Wow. So the correlation, the business math behind that is how much time would Domino's have spent in a test kitchen experimenting right. and you know doing user feedback and blah, blah, blah. This way, at very little cost, they were able to have all these new pizzas created and uh, tested by the crowd and therefore augment their menu. So that's product development. I wonder which one won. Yeah, somebody got rich off of... Well, it wasn't just one. It was several. Oh, several. So, uh, yeah, you'd, I'd have to go down to Australia to check that one out. So I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> yeah, get back to me on that one. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, there's some really good combos out there. But to your point, rather than paying a, a study group, and sometimes those groups are just echo chambers for the first person to say something. So people can vote exactly. where their stomachs. Yeah. Your product group and, and the hippo, the highest paid person in the room, always has veto power. Yes. You know, who knew that? Australians really wanted pizza with gross ingredients, in my opinion, like pineapple on them. But I'm not saying they did. I have no idea. Are you saying you're anti-pineapple on pizza? I'm anti- I am anti-pineapple on okay. pizza. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. My, my four-year-old would disagree with you, but I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Maybe when I was four, things would have been different. Yeah. So this, this, is, this gets to strategy, right? The idea of, of planning things out. And I, I know we were chatting earlier about the difference between content marketing and content strategy and how sometimes you know, mm -hmm. the, probably even ties back to the quantity. People conflate those two terms all the time and there's a difference. Um, content strategy is deciding what kind of content you're going to publish, why and how. It's, mm, it's In architecture, it's the blueprint. Why yes. and how. So it's what are our goals? What are we going to do to meet those goals? And how are we going to execute? Who do we need to hire? What software do we need to invest in? Um, how are we going to publish? How are we going to find our target audience? What channels and medium are we going to publish in? Is it going to be text? Is it going to be video? Is it going to be slide share? Is it going to be a combination of all of those things? Also, how are we going to repurpose content? You know, anybody with a journalism background knows that you can't reinvent the wheel every day. You need to keep taking, so for example, you have a blog post that's turned into a video, that's turned into a speech, or your company does a live right. event. You can harvest enough content out of a two-day conference to keep going for six months if you sure. plan it out carefully. If you hire the videographer, the bloggers, the journalists to be there and to ensure that the content is captured. Yeah, absolutely. I think even even this podcast, you know, we tweet afterwards some of the best quotes out there on social. Uh, I know I write. I like to write LinkedIn posts afterward, sharing my biggest takeaway. And, and to mm -hmm. your point, yeah, just using that content in different ways because some people 
they want to they want to receive it. Like this is even going to be on YouTube for the people who prefer to watch us talking instead of hearing us talk. You know, absolutely. And we all know that there's you know I've been a journalist, but I've also been an editor and a publisher. Those right. are very different roles, even though they're very very closely intertwined. Okay, so somebody's got to be looking at the big picture, and that is the content strategist. And then once you do that, you shift to content marketing or is that a subset or a part of it? Content marketing is execution. It's execution. the doing it every day, the, the doing it. it on the ground. But content marketing has to be based on a content strategy, just like social media marketing has to be based on a, on a social media strategy. It's exactly like every single internet thing that is ever, every channel that's ever come down the pike. Years ago, it was build a website, get your neighbor's you know, nephew to do it because he's HTML. That was not a strategy. And then social email marketing came, search marketing came. It was all hire somebody with technical expertise, but never with the oversight. Content marketing is the same thing. Five years ago, people were saying, well, lots of journalists are out of work because of this internet thing. Hire a journalist and your content marketing needs are are met. They'll blog for you. Well, guess what? Content marketing isn't just writing. And as a former journalist, I have nothing but respect for the trade. It's video. It's photography. It's graphic design. It's maybe understanding infographics. Sure. apps, it's visual, it's audio visual. So just this one discrete skill set is almost certainly not enough anymore. The internet is multimedia. So it's almost like instead of being the journalist writing for the paper, you're the publisher of the of the magazine, of the of the thinking of what kind of content, what kind of medium, what kind of displays okay. and graphics do we need here and there instead of being so focused on one of those elements. One channel or one, one- channel communication and a publisher is of course always looking at the bottom line and saying is this meeting our goals right the lights on you know publishers have mouths to feed publishers need to make a profit right and so think of publisher content strategist or if not a publisher a producer i like that producer Mm -hmm. it's like the producer's show on broadway yeah (laughs) you've got obligations yes yes big picture you know what it never hurts to do a a little bit of planning ahead of time winging it exactly otherwise you just burn out we we even saw that pre-internet with corporate newsletters you know people would spend months planning one they would put everything including the kitchen sink into the first edition and then when it was time for the next issue they're like now what you know in in that that reminds I, I, I'm a big fan, not, oh, the opposite. I'm not a fan of newsletters uh, mm-hmm. in, in favor of something like marketing automation. People, to your point, they put their best content in the first three or four. And in fact, you'd appreciate this, uh, being, having been in media for so long. Uh, I wrote for a local New Hampshire magazine. It was like a, a travel tourism magazine uh, just for fun while I was in college. And New Hampshire, we're a small state. <laughs> we're not the biggest state. If you're in, you're in Iowa, you're, you're that much bigger than we are. So uh, Not as densely populated. Not as densely populated. But there's, there's, some, there's the ocean. There, we're near Boston. There's some great stuff in New Hampshire. But after about a year and a half <laughs> of writing for this thing, you really try to figure out what is there next to write about here in New Hampshire. All your best content, uh-huh. all your best uh, headlines and taglines and lead-ins, they all happened already. And so you end up, anyone that gets your magazine next, I, I remember toward the end, it was writing about the model 
model train museum. <laughs> you know, that was all we had. Um, and so you know, you've got a bucket it, you know, yeah. think about the New York times. I mean, I, have lived in New York for most of my life. So Monday is sports and Tuesday is science and Wednesday is huh. cooking. And Thursdays, let's see, the home, you know, furniture and decor. Friday is entertainment. Well, no, so, where, where is this online or the actual paper itself? It's the actual paper itself, but there's a different special section every day of the week. That really? Focuses. I, I didn't so know that. To come up with entertainment content, you know, seven days a week, right. unless there's really big news, of course. Right. You know, if, if Steven Spielberg died, they wouldn't wait till Friday to tell you. But, you know, Friday is logically when people are making plans for the weekend. So that's when all the theater and film reviews come out. For example, content marketers have to think in the same cadence. I like and it. that enables the content producers to think, well, Monday we'll do an interview with a top executive in the field. Tuesday we'll focus on a product feature that people might not know about or might need more explanation about. Wednesday we'll focus on industry trends in general. Thursday we'll focus on something fun and entertaining just for the people who are, right. you know, in it for the fun. This is all for instance, but right. if you don't start bucketing content and making an editorial calendar and making a plan, you're going to fall down. You know, that's interesting. I like that rotation. That that does help keep things fresh uh, by doing it that way. I I also you know tied to that love the idea with with marketing automation. I know we were talking about this too. The idea of putting your best content. It's almost like creating your best newsletter in a series of emails or series of your best content. And every mm -hmm. time someone signs up or gets into the flow, they get your, the best thing you've written and the next best thing you've written and, and the next best thing. Sequential. You're building a Sequential. story and yeah. you're building a relationship. You know, we were talking the other day and, and I told you that one of my biggest quibbles with marketing automation is the word automation. Yes. Because it sounds you buy the thing, you plug it in, and then you go, you know, on a permanent coffee break because it's just going to keep charging. Right, we're going on a cruise. It's, we, we, we got the tool, we're going. <laughs> exactly. But you've got to feed that thing with content. You do. You know, that's why I say my book is called The Content is the Atomic Particle of Marketing because without content, there's no marketing automation. There's no email. There's no ads. There's no websites. It's all just empty squares and rectangles and videos. Yes, let's get into this. Uh, the Atomic yeah. Particle of Marketing, the cover is super cool. I just finished a great sci-fi book, so I'm all, I'm all locked in on science and physics, and, and uh, my dad tweets daily on physics. And so the oh, Atomic cool. Particle of Marketing, what does that mean that content is the atomic particle? It means no content, no marketing. Very, very simple. You know, even in like advertising, that. we call content creative because it's more expensive. It's still content. <laughs> Um, you know, content is what populates your channel or your medium. So even in, um, in marketing automation, which is all about communicating with people after they come to your website, after they take certain actions, you can't communicate without that content, which is right. why market, marketing automation users, people have to have that content strategy. And guess what? That content strategy has to correlate and connect with all the other content your marketing department is right. doing. Because we live in such a multi-channel universe. The whole world is like Times Square right now. Yeah. So if you 
brand looks and smell, feels and smells and tastes different in marketing automation than it does in print or display or YouTube or anything, people aren't going to recognize or connect the dots between your brand here and your brand over there on Facebook, on Twitter, on TV, anywhere else. Right. Right. If it's not congruent across all those channels, there's, there's a miss. But I love that, that quote earlier the, um, or that phrase, no content, no marketing. Like how simple is that? It's true. Well, I support that 100%. Yeah. You've got kids, you know, like that thing with the white page, it's a snowman in a blizzard, right? Yeah. That's what everything would be without content, the, the proverbial snowman in a blizzard. Oh, yeah, I think I saw that on Facebook the other day. It was a, just a, a white picture. And it was like, yeah, this is New England <laughs> in yeah, the wintertime. Right. Yeah. Right. So even, so even you guys don't want wintertime all the time. True. You know, I, I like to say it's character building to get snow every now and then. And, uh, it, you know, being, being in New York all the time, you're, you're no softy. But those folks down south, you know, with no snow that often. Yeah. I, well, gotta I grew up in Chicago, so I, I'm oh, up there with the best. In Chicago, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the book in the in the, the the line below is a definitive guide to content marketing strategy, which we just have freaking talked yeah. about. Where do you start? You don't have to give away the whole book. People, you go go get this on Amazon. Content: The Atomic Mar- Particle of Marketing. But what's the start? Like, kind of give us a taste for this. When you're getting okay, I got to do marketing strategy because they said no content, no marketing and i know you could take it again you could say no content strategy no content so take it Mm -hmm. so how do i get started on the content strategy so you know one of the first things to understand and i think this is pretty much where my book um starts out is kind of about the decline or the demise of advertising advertising Uh isn't going away advertising has been with us for a long time and it will be continue to be with us for a long time no doubt but it's working less well, uh, particularly online. And, you know, publishers will happily tell you otherwise because it's their job to, but if ads were so great, they wouldn't be getting less expensive. We wouldn't be riddled with ad fraud, lacks of transparency. Ten cents per million. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, So it is incumbent on brands to find out what will work, what will cut through the noise, cut through the clutter, clutter cut through the bland, banner blindness, I'm tripping over my tongue, cut through the ad blockers mm. and really connect with their customers. And what we've learned being in an interactive environment is you can't just cut off people's experience as you can in print or in broadcast and say, sure, you can continue doing what you were doing after this message from our sponsors. People are unwilling to do that. So we're work- moving from a push form of marketing to a pull form of marketing. And it's the marketing of attraction, being there when people want and need you, being there when right. they don't know what to do with that TV button. And you're the person who has the TV button, not everybody else. So I divide content marketing into three different buckets over overwhelmingly. There's content that informs and educates. So maybe you're selling something highly technical or a car with a long consideration cycle. Sure. So this is helping people through a buying cycle, maybe content that says, you know, if your sofa is 10 feet away from the wall, then your flat screen TV should be this big. Um, there's also content that entertains think of your favorite viral videos stuff that you 
watch and laugh at and pass along and hopefully people remember your brand, but they tune in because they love it. So true. There, then, there's this uh, Mountain Dew commercial. Clearly I'm a target. Sometimes I wear a Mountain Dew shirt to the gym um, because nothing says working out like wearing a shirt that sponsors sugar. Uh, sugar exactly. But there's this ridiculous Mountain Dew commercial this guy with a beard and some silly shirt and he's drinking the Mountain Dew and it's got a cool song and I remember shazamming that and or googling it and then after it was done playing another commercial was on and then I surprised the missus by playing the ad again on my phone because I wanted to mm -hmm. see it was so hilarious I wanted to see, so to your point pulling pulling and it's just fun pulling, and attracting. Yeah. yeah and then the Third type of content, most people don't think of this one, but I call it utility content. Mm. So think of content that helps you perform a task. Um, this is very often mobile. So a weight loss calculator or a mortgage calculator or a automatic bank deposit, you know, things that mm. remove friction. One of my very favorite examples of this, and I've been using it for years, but it's just too good, is Charmin developed Yelp for public bathrooms, and it's called Sitter Squat. And really? users rate public restrooms based on criteria like accessibility and cleanliness <laughs> and length of line. And That's yeah, we hilarious. laugh because it's hilarious. Yeah, We've all been there, right? Like, where's the right, like, you, you know, the like, nearest bathroom, and is it gross? And yeah. that's so congruent with. Charmin is a brand. You know, what could you do if your toilet paper? That's what you do if your toilet paper. Yes. Now, would, would, videos, paper could do it. would videos that teach you something fit into that or is that? I would say videos that teach you something fall into the educational or informational. So how right. do I install First this? How do I open my computer and replace the memory or something like that? But, you know, things can cross over. You don't have to totally fit in the lines. It's just to give people an example of, of right. what you can do. And very often the products that you would think would fit in one category can go into another. So IBM did a, uh, they, for their mainframe computer division. So mainframe computers, you're never going to buy one. I'm never going to nope. buy one. <laughs> they did a funny series of webisodes based on the office. You know, oh yeah, sure. And so it was this whole send up of corporate and office life. Cause you know what? The people who buy rain, mainframe computers have a sense of humor too. Yeah. So surprising and delightful in a way that you wouldn't expect. And that's, that's what cool. hooks you in. So those three are educational entertainment and utility. Exactly. You got Love it. That. So those are quick things to look at. Yeah. Right. Quick study. Uh, Paying attention. And there's no reason to limit yourself to sure. one. You can mess around until you find the formula that's right for you. But very often, a product that's very delicate or, or sensitive will go with entertaining. And one example of that, and I'm sure you've probably seen it, is you've seen this new product or relatively new called the Squatty Potty. Is this the unicorn? This is the unicorn. Because it's <laughs> yeah content marketing right because yeah. you can't really talk about it because it's kind of gross and embarrassing and do you, want, you want to describe it listening, or do you want me to ice cream <laughs> so yeah so it's this thing that you know some people believe that if you squat rather than sit that it's healthier for your 
daily evacuation needs. So, so this company manufactures a device that you can sit around your toilet and squat on. I can't believe I'm saying this on video. Yes. So <laughs> how are you going to market that? They did a video about unicorns pooping rainbows and a yes. charm, Prince Charming, and it's gotten and it's soft serve. It's rainbow and unicorns was pooping soft serve soft ice cream. Serve. Just the soft most serve. wrong thing ever. But you, when you mentioned four words of it, I immediately said unicorn because I, I remember. Yeah. And so it's just an absolutely delightful, entertaining, and very viral way oh, of yeah. talking about something. <laughs> But I, let's just stop talking about. I know, right? I got a unicorn, <laughs> about, right? Uh, so, okay, so we have those three in mind. Where do you then take it next? And maybe this even ties into, you know, rather than you reciting your whole book, does this tie into the maturity model, or how do we progress? Um, it, or does the progression happen after so the struggle? walk, um, and that's that experimental. Like, let's launch seventy-five yeah. blogs and see what works. Then you get rigorous. Then you mm. know, have a better idea of what works, and you really start applying metrics and goals around the content that you do. So, uh, just because this is, you know, a, a show that f- focuses on marketing automation, I'm going to give you an example from marketing automation. Um, a friend of mine used to be the head of marketing at Eloqua. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, this is just when they were starting out with content marketing. And just to give him a shout out, his name is Joe Chernoff. He's no longer with the company. Oh, we know Joe. We quote him all the time. Yeah, he's wonderful. So Joe decided to publish a bunch of books on digital marketing. It was for lead generation purposes. And he decided he needed to measure this for efficacy, but he didn't know what to measure. They'd never done this before. So he decided that his target audience was vice president. He didn't care if they were vice president of technology or of human resources or as long as it was VP, it was good with Joe. So they tracked the downloads of all of these books um, as to how many vice presidents downloaded them. Then they tracked the VP title in the sales cycle. Now you've got to build in these tracking mechanisms yes. and you've got to capture that information on your lead gen form. Right. But Joe able to um, attribute, I think it was nine or $10 million worth of sales because really? of the sales cycle, um, you know, in the first, I think it was two quarters. And guess what? That's a good enough result to get more staff, more resources, yes. more everything. Oh, yeah. He didn't know what to track. So VP was a good starter metric. But that's when you're jogging. That's when you're starting to develop some mm-hmm. discipline around content marketing, apply metrics, apply goals, and get results. And again, you don't start by knowing, you know, universal truths about things, True. but you have to know at least, you know, what, what to start with. You're right. And you, you learn some of that from testing too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, listening to amazing my, podcasts. Yeah. My next phase in, in a maturity model is to start to develop what I call a culture of content. And that's Ooh. very important. So remember earlier I was talking about Sony and how this guy went out into the company, starts talking to his mm-hmm. colleagues about, what are you thinking about? What are your customers doing? The marketing department is not the alpha and omega of content. Every outward-facing division and this might be product, it might be research, it might be sales, 
HR, recruitment, they're talking to your customers, your prospects, maybe future employees. They know better than marketing does what people think about their products, what what the resistance is, what the features are that are drawing them in. Get out and talk to these people like a reporter, shoe yeah. leather, go find out and reward people for contributing. You know, some companies, the yeah. greatest content marketers like uh, Frank Eliaison from Citibank, they were in customer service and just started helping people digitally. And that's how you have content be the sort of, you know, like the oil that fuels the whole machine because right. content doesn't help marketing. And this is an important thing for content marketers to share. It can make everybody's job easier. So we saw how content can help make a product person's job easier by learning what features, what benefits people want in new products. It can help recruitment and retention. There's a great example of um, ESPN moved out of New York into a much more suburban part of Connecticut. Interesting. So they had to recruit a whole bunch of people in Connecticut and also convince existing employees <laughs> a right. very big lifestyle leap. Oh, they yeah. start a website made up of CNN employees talking about the benefits of living in that area of Connecticut, okay. why life was good there, and they were able to both recruit new people and get the people they wanted to move from New York. You know, not everybody, but that's content, and it's content for a business goal. Yeah, I like that. Maybe Content doesn't just help exec- out marketing. No, right? maybe you want executives to have more exposure, more mind share, yeah. or you know, the PR department wants executives to be quoted in the press more often. Get the executives out there, give them a voice, give them a platform so that when it comes to thought leadership, they can make that impact. So content is 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 a universe. It's not just marketing. Right. And you can make that many more friends if you're helping other people out with their, you know, you help them out with this content. They tell you things you didn't even know. Um, I, I remember one experience I had when I was a, a young marketing manager at a, a small company and, you know, the new guy sales, who is this guy, you know, who is, who is this, this Casey Cheshire uh-huh. here? And I had a chance to ask them and they, they allowed me to, to join them to listen into their sales calls when they were calling the leads that the system that I inherited. That is great. That is such a great knocking down of that wall that divides sales from marketing because they should be friends and help each other. Even, um, you know, large brands, retail stores very often want their sales associates to help with content. They're on the mm-hmm. front lines. They know what the objections are, the problems. I worked with um, Home Depot a few years ago. I don't know if you know this, but the people who work in their plumbing department, they're expert plumbers. The people who work in the electric department, they're expert electricians. Oh, they follows. know more That's than great. we do about those, those oh, topics. Yeah. So they're excellent content producers, not just telling the customers one-on-one on the sales floor, but giving suggestions, helping with DIY, DIY projects. Well, I question about that then, because, you know, a lot of times people want to hire a content agency to write for them. But to your point, your frontline staff, your, your leadership, your internal team are the subject matter experts. So how do you blend that? Do you support that idea? I, 
you know, how you does gotta that blend it? Yeah. Blend so it? very often you need that professional outside help because you don't have enough internal resources because maybe you don't have the technical skills that a film production house sure. or a video production house would have. But I advise my clients about outsourcing everything completely without having some dedicated staff in-house because otherwise you're just handing things over to handlers. Yeah. And a lot of these organizations are very, very, very good, but it does turn into, as it often does with PR, and I'm sure marketers who have worked with PR firms know this, garbage in, garbage out. So yeah. if you're not really working with somebody who's got a close ally in the company and working as partners rather than outsourced providers. You know, this is not your plumber or your electrician. These are people speaking on your behalf. There's right. got to be very, very, very close collaboration. I like the interview approach where you have that person who's good at writing, good at grammar, they can put the piece together and you, you know the topic and they interview that expert, either that plumber on the floor or the, the leader you know, taking uh, 30 minutes out of his day to answer these questions, the best way the whole company could answer them is how that CEO might answer them. And then they take that and write it up and craft it, but they weren't mm -hmm. creating the tech. They weren't answering the question. They were sort of, you know, formulating it together as opposed in polishing it as opposed to creating it from scratch. Exactly. And also hiring people who have domain expertise and you're going to have to pay for that. So yeah, that for example, <laughs> Last year with uh, one of the biggest manufacturers of dental equipment in the world, of all things. But that's highly specialized. So when they developed a content program that I helped them to develop, they hired a trade industry writer to help do it, who, who knows about all of these tools and all of these machines. And right. it's a whole universe of stuff out there. Right. And, but that's pricey know, though, right? Because there's not too many of those type of people. Are there? Or? Okay. Well, you know, if you're hiring a nuclear physicist, it's <laughs> maybe going to be pricier. You know, there are, sure. there are scales of pricey. Of yes. But you don't, and there are some people who are very, very quick studies, but hmm. hiring people who know your subject matter and who know your industry, who know the pain points, who know the issues, maybe they're legis legislative or, or environmental always, always helps. And my most recent piece of research that I published uh, last month, I think, is about global content marketing. Mm. So you can't expect if your headquarters are in the United States, that your issues, your problems, your customers are going to be identical to people in Europe, in Asia, in South America. So multinational companies face problems that are cultural, that are linguistic, but it's not just right. translating. So if you just look at internet issues, privacy laws in the United States are so different than they are oh, anywhere yes. else in the world. You, you just can't talk about things the same way. Yeah, that, that, that would be a, a mistake. And I remember working at a, a similar company where uh, it was owned by a company in Europe and they sent, sent us the marketing to send out to the US. And why, you could fill a whole website with stories like this, but one of them was Happy Mayberry Day. Or happy Hollyberry Day. Sure. I don't even remember. I was like, you really want us to so, say yeah. that? <laughs> I'll give you one, one of my favorite ones. So this is even almost pre-internet. I was handling global marketing for, among other broadcast stations, the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, and we yeah. went around the world and we showed people the logo. And in those days, it was the Saturn with, with the ring around yeah. it that said 
high. And everywhere in the world, people got it. It was like, you know, science fiction. Now, science fiction means different things in different countries, but they all got the idea of science fiction until we showed it to Italians. And they were looking at it and going, skiing and Formula One racing. Really? F like FI Formula One. FI Formula One. What else could that possibly be? And Psy was somehow skiing. Skiing, yeah. You can't argue with it. But no, you, you can't. Have to, you, you're not going to educate the whole country. You just got to yeah. modify. What would they change? Would you change it to for for Italy? Um, I don't remember what we did. It's been a few years. <laughs> no but I'll give you a more example. I was working with a major uh, technology company just a year or two ago. And they had very excitedly bought rights to American football okay, and NFL stuff. And they yeah. excitedly sent it to markets all over the world saying, look what we get to use in our marketing this year. Now, you know that the United States is the only country <laughs> yes. where football an oval ball, not a round ball. Yes. You know, everybody else was confuses everyone. WTF. And after WTF, oh. it's like, how are we going to even market this year? Because we can't use any of that. any of it's it relevant ouch what happened they just i mean they already ate that cost different, right? yeah different regions had to do different things but you know it threw everything into an ad hocracy right yeah you know, i would just take a camera go out to the local playground and get a couple you know photos of kids playing actual soccer <laughs> football there's your replacement, you know. It didn't cost you right. million dollar sponsorship of the NFL. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, and I think the other story is that that car, the Nova, right? The Nova, Nova right. go. go. So hey, this car doesn't go. Why would we I buy this? A, yeah. yeah, or it was Coke adds life, which meant in China, Coke brings your ancestors back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like yeah. Red Bull has wings, yeah. but. Oh man, uh-huh. how did that play out in China? Do you, do you... Yeah, but on the other hand, so Red Bull, <laughs> you you raise they're at my pinnacle of content marketing maturity. Oh yeah, so my pinnacle. Yeah, tell, tell us about the the, the the end. Yeah, the, the end, and this is very aspirational. Very, very, very few companies will ever achieve sure. it or even want to achieve it. But it is getting so freaking good at content that you can sell your content for money. Oh, so I your love content that. becomes revenue stream and red bull has magazines they have recording studios they license their footage of extreme sports for broadcast there's even a wow. b2b site you can go onto to license their clips um coca-cola has sold some content there are some other brands macy's created a um a, what's that story called miracle on 34th street they created a, a video of that that was actually broadcast on air and of course it relates to macy's because the sure. classic story is all about you know the santa at macy's on christmas not a lot of brands are ever going to get there but i no. do want to point out that one small brand has gotten there okay and i'm sure many of your your listeners or viewers know this the um oh gosh blend tech that's I'm, Oh, the Will it Blend? Are those the Blend the Blend guys? Yeah, Will yeah. It Blend, the guy who drops the iPhone in the blender and the oh, shoe cringe. in the blender yeah. and the iPad in the blender. So even though those videos are on the internet and you can watch them all for free at any time, go on their website. They're selling DVDs of that stuff because people like them that much. Wow. So you don't have to be 
red bull, even though you'll probably never get there, nor do you want to get there. But your marketing can actually turn into a monetizable product at the pinnacle of the content marketing piece. I wonder if part of the recipe for that is a unique either stance or a very, I don't say niche brand, but it's a very, you, you know who you are and you, mm-hmm. and you do what you do and there's a certain group of people that are going to watch it and you're okay with that and you just own that space and then those people are the ones that are going to pay. On, yeah, what I like to call the big idea. So I think that yeah. the best content marketing ladders up to a big idea mm. and there are two examples of this I always like to cite. Um, one is IBM and one is GE. And the reason I cite them is these are multinational companies that make a zillion products. You know, GE makes everything from irons to, to uh, you know, satellites and, and things that are for not consumers. consumers. GE's big idea is eco-imagination. So every single thing they do in marketing and in content ladders up to the idea of eco-imagination, which is a very broad idea. Um, IBM, similar thing, a zillion products and technology, but they do all very different things. Their idea is smarter planet. So, you know, their customer base is businesses, it's cities, it's governments, it's science, it's universities, and everything ladders up to Smarter Planet. So this is where content and branding really come together. Right. What's the idea? What is the overarching mission statement or problem that your company is trying to solve? And that's when content can really connect with something and really find consistency across the broad spectrum of channel and audience and, and media and all the things that it has to do and achieve. Absolutely. And again, that's strategic underpinning, right? Yeah. That's not just execution, you, but it you makes you the execution that out. what is there. Thinking about the next steps, testing, exactly. mm-hmm. focusing, looking for stats, holding yourself accountable to the stats. I can see how hey, you have your freedom here, but then, okay, now we got to refine, really focus here. And you got to know what to focus on in True. order to have focus. Yeah, true. And, you know, even Red Bull, you, you, we were talking about that earlier. I love watching Red Bull TV. They're, they're, it's on the, uh, the Apple TV. They've got Red Bull TV. There's people mountain climbing, which I'm, I'm a fan of. Then there's the extreme skiing. There's these guys that, that bike down uh, mountainsides and cliffs in, in the desert. Extreme sports. Yeah, that's I love watching. With an energy drink, you know, that is trying to appeal to young men, 18 to 35, the most elusive demographic that there is. Really? So tell me, elusive, elusive brand, hard to pin down? Hard to pin down. Um, That age range is when young men are making decisions of the products and and the services they're going to use for the rest of their life. But they're, you know, when it, outside of sports, it's very hard to capture them with advertising. (laughs) Outside of sports, right. (laughs) Red Ford. Red Bull has really managed to do it. They really have. And their CEO has said that he wants to be known for being a content company as much as he wants to be known for being an energy drink company. And I think they've achieved that. I think so. For sure. I I love this talk about the the 
the pinnacle of your maturity model because this kind of gets us to beyond the pinnacle, which is the future. And I know you love just thinking about where is this going? And this came from even your past of going through different trends, transitions of different types of media. So what does the future hold around content and around marketing? So I'm, I'm doing a lot of research on this right now. I've published one report and have another coming up. I'm looking at where content is going to connect with AI, with artificial intelligence, and also with things in our environment, like beacons and sensors. Sure. And content is not going to be what. It's going to be who are you, where are you, what are you doing there? And content is also going to be able to begin to create itself. There is <laughs> machine learning that can be applied to content. So you won't have this problem. We've got to create more content. It's going to be for marketers instead. Who is our audience and how are we going to personalize content? So I'll give you a couple examples. Yeah, please um, do. Morantz has um, Internet of Things enabled speakers. When you buy a pair of Morantz speakers, if you turn them on and off three or four times, it's a predetermined number within a very tight margin of space, say 10 minutes, they'll send you an email that says, hey, it looks like you're having problems with your new speakers. Is there any way that we can be helpful? Oh, interesting. Because they know how you're using the speakers. Another thing that they're doing with the speakers, which I think is super cool, and this gets back into product development, is you have to name your speakers when you install them. So, mm -hmm. you know, living room, bedroom, bathroom. So many of their audience, their install base, had speakers named Bathroom. They took a flyer, developed a line of waterproof speakers, and marketed these speakers only to those people who had speakers named Bathroom. The email open rate for these, and any marketing automation person, I hope you're sitting down, uh -oh. 40%. They sold two days. So it's that idea 40% open rate on that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what did they sell? Is it two Water, waterproof speakers, but they marketed them only to people who they knew had speakers in their bathroom. Oh, only to them. Wow. Yeah. So completely relevant, almost personalized marketing. Yeah. And they sold out the line. They took a flyer. So now they're developing a line of really rugged speakers that they're going to only market to people who have speakers in their garage, which they know because those people name their speakers <laughs> yes. garage. Oh man, I love that. I mean, some people get creeped, non-marketers can get creeped out by just how much people know, but I kind of love it. For the creep factor, yeah. yeah. And so when people do say something like, you know, how do you know I turn my speaker off three or four times in 10 minutes? They'll, they come back with an email that says, we aspire to give you the same level of service as a BMW. And we know you did this and we would like to be the BMW of the speaker world. You can opt out of these messages, but we're here sure. to help. So they've thought through to that next step of creepiness and they yes. try to assuage fears. Yeah, that creepiness factor is a thing. We, we do a training at Cheshire here for... Uh, the, the clients, when they install marketing automation, we have a training specific for their sales team so that mm -hmm. when an email goes out or just because you can see that someone's on the website right now doesn't mean you need to call them up and tell them that personally. You're, oh, you've been on the pricing page for four minutes and 30 seconds. Do you have a question about pricing? You know, that's probably not the way to approach that. So we give them exactly. strategies, for things, ways to say it so that they don't come across like that. It, you definitely have to uh, yeah, protect the fact that you have that knowledge. 
Mm -hmm. And there's data protection around this as well. But the report that I'm going to publish next month with my colleague Jessica Groupman, and it will be available for free on the Kaleido Insights website, is going to be about automated content. We've just figured, finished our interview process for that. So we're looking at companies that create ways to automate content. And some of these are marketing automation companies like mm -hmm. a Salesforce, for example, that will actually write the content based on a universe of possibilities that wow is based on what that consumer was doing, who they are, maybe it's gender, maybe it's location, maybe it's a combination of those things, actions wow. that they do. And this is going to make content marketers' jobs both, both easier and more difficult because it adds many layers of complexity. Would you create like a shell template and then it dynamically puts in he, she, or picture? Yep, There's a little bit of that now, but I could see you could really, the whole thing could be shaped and it can also be shaped around what the best-selling items on your website are. So it's yeah. not just the customer and their history. Yeah. Another example of this that I love that is based on physicality is MGM Resorts in Las Vegas. If okay. you're a member of the royalty program, as many people are, sure. when you check into the hotel, your smartphone is your room key. But also, it's location-aware throughout oh, oh, vast, yes. as anybody who knows who's been to Vegas, this vast, vast, vast property. And because you're a member of the loyalty club, it knows your history. So when you go to Las Vegas, you might get an offer when you're in the near a restaurant and it's 8 o'clock, it's dinner time for a steak dinner discount. They might know I prefer going to shows, so I might get an offer for two tickets to Cirque du Soleil tonight. Oh, and wow. This maybe not just on your history with the hotel and what you do when you're on the property, but maybe they ordered too much steak and they just got to offload some. So, you know, hence the offer to do that or the show. Yeah. Right. So there's so many different factors that can come into play with the, the very contextually relevant offers that you get. I, I love that, that location based or just the, the need based, uh, the whole point is to be more relevant to people, relevant to their situation, relevant to what they're looking for, what their problem is. If they don't have a problem, just being more relevant. I can see this just continuing to be, and, and I appreciate the relevance. Um, and I, I guess I notice it sometimes, but uh, I appreciate that. I mean, the whole goal is not to be creepy or to be spy-y. It's to be as helpful. Be helpful yeah. and useful. Yeah. There's an automotive dealership that has beacons that knows if you go right or left. So service or sales. Because if you just bought the car, you don't <laughs> want an ad. Yes. Maybe it's an ad for an accessory or something like that. But it's all about better, more relevant, more contextually relevant marketing. And that's where ads are beginning to decline whereas content is very, very much on the ascendant because there's so much more that you can do with it. It's not just the right person, the right message, the right time, but now it's the right place under the right conditions. Starbucks um, was telling me, I was doing research on real-time marketing, that they lost a lot of money when there was a hot snap in September and they were busy working on all their you know, pumpkin latte ads and yes. because they didn't have lemonade content ready when the temperatures soared into the 90s they think they lost a lot of sales interesting having eliminated yeah. the ready 
at the ready and lemonade content at the ready. Lemonade content case. on the phone. Just I mean, the Starbucks the weather app. does something dippy, right? Yeah, the Starbucks app has these challenges now, which are you know gamifying buying coffee. Hey, you know, make sure you know, get. If you get uh, try out each one of these lattes or try out the new blonde, it sounds like I'm even they're mm-hmm. sponsoring this thing. But try out the new this, you know, and you get fifty more stars. You know that kind of exactly. and, and it's interesting. Right. And and you could say, hey, lemonade, it's hot. We know you're you're hot. Yeah. Get some refreshing, cool, organic lemonade at the right time. Right. Said their marketing department was worked on working on the warm drinks because of the season. So you got to be prepared. <laughs> Yeah, or a big box store. Maybe you're selling snow tires in the Northeast, but lawn furniture down in Florida. Right, and you wouldn't want to reverse that. <laughs> you wouldn't want to reverse that. Oh man! So, who are you? How how did you acquire this amazing knowledge? <laughs> you know, um, and now you mentioned you worked in different media outlets. How did this all start? Well, I I like to say it's all media all the time because I've never worked outside the media industry. So I've been a print oh. journalist. I, and I've pretty much gone back and forth between being a journalist slash analyst and being a marketer my whole career. Okay. So I have done both those roles, first in film, then in television, in print. I've never worked in radio. And then <laughs> finally in digital. So right. I ran some of the major digital publications um, covering digital advertising and marketing. Um, you know, as I said, I was uh, a marketer at some of the major broadcast. Sci-Fi Channel was a perfect incubation job because the internet was just beginning to to gain some traction. Yeah. And we actually had an audience that was online and watching ads and, and yes. participating rather than saying this is the future. It was the future. Yeah, that that'd be a cool um, audience to work with. It was a cool audience. And so I went to both marketing and, and editorial analyst jobs, and I've settled on being an analyst because I love to watch. That goes back to my days as a film mm. critic. And I love to, to prognosticate and look at the, the bleeding edge of technology. As you can see over my shoulder, I've got my bleeding edge. Yes, yes. Well, you're so far in the future, you need, you need the, the past to, to sort of anchor you back down into this dimension. Right. Really, a time machine. It's a t- yes, yes. Yeah, it, yeah and, it's a you know, the other thing is not just um, you know writing the books and producing the research, but then using that knowledge to help companies prosper mm. and and solve the problems that they're having around all these challenges in digital marketing, in content. What kind of technology do we need for this? How do we educate our staff on that? So I do a lot of work both in Europe, where I am today, and in the United States. I go back and forth um, speaking about this, writing about this, and consulting about this. So much so that now you have a, a place to stay in Greece. Well, I was doing, I think I did more work in Europe than I, that last year than I did in the States. And so I found myself staying for bigger chunks of time so I wouldn't have to fly back and forth. So sure. yeah, two bases of operation now. Can't complain. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to live the life that I live. Oh, for sure. It, well, it's, it's completely doable. And we, prior to having a place where you, not hotels, were you like Airbnbs while you're, where you're staying or was it just hotels for months and months? Sometimes Airbnbs, yeah. and in earlier chapters of my life, I've been based in Europe, so I have a lot of friends over on this. Oh, side good, of good, good. Because I was going to say, you know, the extended travel in hotels eventually, it's great to just have a place. So to it, yes, um, yeah. When you reach that highest level of frequent flyer, you start calling <laughs> it the Dubai 
been uh, yeah. We were talking about that. Uh, I used to be there, not anymore. But uh, right. th- it's a double-edged sword, right? You get you get the upgrades or you get the uh, the treatment, but you also it means you're flying a lot and you're in the it air means a lot. You're flying a lot. It means you're not always where you want to be you a lot. Be. But on the other hand, it means you're in very cool places a lot. Too. Yeah. Yeah, and you're following the opportunity and you're following the bleeding edge. How do you, as an analyst, and I know uh, you're a critic, I think earlier a film critic, and now you say you're a media critic. How do you, how do you, what's that? Long ago, I was a film critic, yes. Okay, so film critic, do you have a favorite movie? That's the first thing I thought of when you, when you told me you're a film critic. (laughs) I have a lot of favorite movies. I would never, never, never just name one. So we'll have, we'll have maybe we'll search the uh, the Kaleido blog for a uh, critics' favorite movies, but maybe not. <laughs> not on so, the Kaleido blog. You'd have to go deeper into the internet, but you'll find stuff if you do. Okay, all right. So good to know. Um, so this this critic, um, media critic, you know, looking at things, poking things. How do you evolve? Because clearly you've evolved from back all the way to print journalism and moving through different mediums and obviously digital, but then digital isn't even digital. Now there's the AIs. How do you stay at that forefront? How do you, and also evolve? And maybe they're tied, maybe they're separate. You just have to be interested in it. Mm. I'm interested in media and communication and how ideas are spread. And I guess I'm also interested in pattern recognition, which is a lot of what analysts do. You know, we, we conduct interviews, we do research, we do reading, and then we connect a lot of dots. I guess I like puzzles like that. I'm, I'm not very numeric, as I demonstrated a little <laughs> while ago, although sometimes, of course, we do quanti- quantifiable research. For sure. And I also like the challenge. You know, I work with four partners who are four, four very, very prominent analysts in the field, and we all have different areas of specialization. So mm. my colleague, who's very well-known, Jeremiah Aoyang, looks at business monetization strategies. We've all authored mm. research together. Right now, I'm working with Jessica Groupman, who is an expert on Internet of Things and AI mm, and automation, yeah. but on content. So we're getting together and looking at content automation. My other colleague, Jamie Shemansky, who looks at customer journeys and personas a lot, um, she and I co-authored my book together. So oh, nice. It's great having these very smart, very engaged people who challenge you, yeah. they encourage you, but they also, you know, their job is to poke holes in your ideas and say, hey, did you think about this? Or maybe not so much that. It's fun. When it stops being fun, I stop doing it. Totally. It almost sounds like the, the dream of what an academic surrounding would be like is to be surrounded by the, the smartest um, but also, you know, fun to collaborate with the smart, great people. And I always find there's, you know, there, there's the quote of don't be the smartest person in the room. Surround yourself with people that challenge you, that it's intrigue. like playing tennis. You want to go up, right? Yeah, yeah. Play Andre. Don't, don't play the, mm-hmm. the four-year-old down the street. Yeah. So, okay, so you're but surrounding yourself also with people. academics without the ivory tower because all of this is real world. Real you know, world. We work with real people real businesses, 100%. the cutting edge of technology. Academics doesn't move that quickly and I need to move quickly or I frankly get bored. So maybe part of this is, you know, an effort to keep myself challenged and not be bored on a personal For sure. Basis. And AI will do that. That'll just get get the mind mm-hmm. going. You'll go from atomic particles to quarks and 
and all sorts of horses. I might have to know more about physics soon. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I have to do a little brush up on physics to be able to do the next metaphor. <laughs> I got to start reading your dad's blog. Yes, yeah, I'll connect you with it for sure. Thank you. Well, this has been great. I mean, you know, so many learnings and the stories and hearing about, um, you know, it sounds like it will behoove a company to work with you before they go and get that sponsorship that completely <laughs> misses their audience and the wrong geo. Um, so how do people connect, you know, uh, subscribe to your blog, Twitter? What, what are the best ways to connect with you? So my personal website, RebeccaLieb.com, super easy. Okay. My company is KaleidoInsights.com. Uh, Twitter, I'm at Lieblink, that's L-I-E-B-L-I-N-K. And of course, I'm on Facebook under my name. I'm on LinkedIn under my own name. I'm pretty findable. Pretty findable. That is great. And we'll put these in the show notes too for people. And, and anyone that would prefer to just – you know, you don't like people. You just want to read the notes. We have uh, you can sign up for an email at at, at the uh, thehardcoremarketing.com, and you can get show notes from all the different takeaways that we had. And of course, if you prefer YouTube, you can go there too. But this has been awesome, Casey. This has been so much fun. I'm so <laughs> glad you reached out. I've enjoyed every second of speaking with you, and across the uh, entire Atlantic Ocean too. And it didn't seem like we had any problems. But you even notice, right? You wouldn't, unless I keep talking about it because it's so cool exactly. and fascinating. Oh, yes, this you could have great. said I was on the other side of the same room and nobody right. would be like anywhere. next door. Hey, <laughs> uh, that's so good. So, what what's next for you? Do you have any events coming up you're speaking at? Uh, I do. I have several in Europe. The next one in the United States is going to be Marketo's Marketing Nation event. Ah, in yes. Early May. The Fearless so Marketing Event. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome. Okay. Well, great. Well, people will, will, will keep in touch on that and hopefully people can track you down at that. So thank you Fantastic. again. Track me down and say hello. Yes. Thank you thank again. You. And when people do say hello, don't so forget to say fun. where you heard her on this awesome podcast. So thanks again. Absolutely. And uh, to all you listen out there, this has been an amazing episode. If you liked it, share it with someone. If you didn't like it, share it with someone and uh, we'll see you on the next one. 